This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Ray and Sage Dish. It was recorded at Sourland Mountain Spirits in Hopewell, New Jersey. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Sourland Mountain Spirits and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Sourland Mountain Spirits. I'm Rich Shane. I'm here with Say and Rage Dish. Sage and Ray, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So it's a snowy day. Thanks for making it out and, uh, and coming to sit down with me on the podcast. I have just... I'm excited to be here. I can't wait. You guys have so much energy, and I can't wait to just talk about all things Sourland Mountain. But how did all this get started? Bad dream. Bad dream? <laughs> okay. Um, Was it spirit or alcohol so induced, Ray? Let's, let's go back just to flashback to 1995 when my wife, Erica, and my then partner, Adam, opened Triumph Brewing Company in Princeton on Nassau Street in 1995. So that's where we first legally got involved with making alcohol. Now, my first question is, was there, besides brewing, was there ever any distillation done on premises that you want to acknowledge or talk about? No. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Unless I can use your home address. That's fine, yes. <laughs> so you opened up Triumph Brewery, 1997. Talk 95, about, 95, 95. 95. Talk about the progression there. Oh, well, we had a, you know, we, we invested three years into getting it going. And um, the way I got turned on to the whole idea of uh, craft beer, I was working at Merck Pharmaceuticals in Rawway, New Jersey, driving home in the traffic on dreaded Route 1. And, you know, as a good progressive listening to WXPN, and they had an interview with a husband and wife team from Chicago who had been commodity traders. And they decided to hang it all up, and they opened the first microbrewery in Illinois called Chicago Brewing Company. Okay. And I literally got home and said to my wife, we're doing this. Now... We're going to do this. Had you had any homebrewing experience? I mean, were I there... Home, I homebrewed once. Okay. And I wasn't happy with the results. But, um, no. Okay. I don't want to get too deep into Triumph story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just I, giving you I, the background. No, but, no, but that's fascinating to me as to... Where you are today, based on just having an idea, and then all of a sudden, I mean, Triumph is a well-known brewing company in this area, um, you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Delaware, and then outside, you know, nationwide. What was the, what were the next steps for you saying, besides, did your wife look at you and say, okay, go back to what you're doing, that was funny, 
And uh, Well, no, but I did call my older brother, Warren, who was 10 years older than me, and he said, well, Ray, what are you going to do now that you left, you know, the most admired company in America and won? Why would you do that? And I said, well, you know, I, I felt compelled to, uh, to want to start my own business. He said, well, what's that going to be? I said, well, it's going to be a restaurant. And, uh, of course, you know, we've never been in the restaurant business, and I've never had a new business. And I said, it's also going to have a brewery. And he goes, well, that sounds interesting. And I said, the only problem is it's illegal right now, right? Because we were the ones who sponsored the legislation to get the law changed in New Jersey to make brew pubs legal. So his quote quote was, there was silence, and I heard, good choice, Ray. (laughs) (laughs) You really have been on the forefront of, I mean, let's face it. I mean, even the craft spirits industry in New Jersey is still in its infancy. Yes, so you've really been on the forefront of just those industries that you've gotten yourselves involved in. You've done, you, you were involved in Triumph. You made beer. You ran a restaurant. You expanded and helped that grow. Now, where does Sourland Mountain come in? So then, um, so 20 years later, literally, right, we opened Triumph in 1995, and we formed Sourland Mountain Spirits in 2015. And uh, I had, you know, been keeping an eye on my beer colleagues who had branched out, decided to start distilleries in other states, which changed their law long before New Jersey did. And then once New Jersey changed the law in December of 2013, I literally said to my wife, you know, let's have a conversation about getting back in the game. So all of 2014, she was still teaching Spanish over in Montgomery uh, elementary school. C. Pardon me? C. <laughs> bueno. That's cerveza? That's <laughs> you say cerveza. I say C. And, um, and we talked through all of 2014 and in 2015. We said, you know, let's get back in the game. And that's when we founded Dish and Sons Distillers. Because I always hoped that I'd get one or hopefully both of my sons to work in the business. So it was Dish and Sons Distillers, DBA, Sour and Mountain Spirits because of where we're located. Now, what was it about distilled spirits? What was it about that for you that drew you to that industry? So we had had just a wonderful experience producing, you know, high quality and really craft beer as well as craft food at Triumph. And we found it very gratifying. And in those interim 20 years, I would always say to my kids, you know, be a maker and not a taker. Because I love it's, that. it's more gratifying. You know, I also, when I turned 50, determined that I was going to hang out with more artists and creators than lawyers and bankers, uh, just because I found them generally uh, more interesting, creative people. And the idea is it's going to be and sons. And Sage, that's where are were the were the were your siblings fighting over the opportunity, or did you say no? I'm I'm cap- I'm capturing this. It's mine. We're going to work together. This is how it's going to go. Yeah. So we've had a, an interesting kind of last year and a half. So prior to this, my brother and I had our own business that we ran together. So we did high end luxury fashion socks. Uh, we were based out of Manhattan. Ran the business for about five years. Um, and we closed the business down in early 2020. Um, so we were doing a little bit of soul searching, you know, after pouring everything we had into this business for five years, trying to figure out what to do next. Um, we were in Manhattan. 
We saw that COVID was starting to come over to the U.S. I got a little nervous, kind of like second week in March, being in the city. And I said, you know, hey, Cody, let's let's go spend a couple weeks at our parents' place. So one Friday, we pack it up. It's me, my brother, both of our girlfriends come to my parents. Next thing we know, we end up staying here for five months. Um, so in that transition, you know, I was looking at, should I start another business with friends? Should I go into the advertising world? Or... Should I join my dad at Sour Mountain Spirits? Um, so the opportunity was there, I think, coming home and being in Hopewell during that crazy time and getting to spend more time at the distillery to learn a little bit more about the business that him and my mom had built over the last couple of years just got me more and more excited. And I started seeing, okay, there's a social media angle where I can come in and add a lot of value. There is a marketing and a branding angle. There's all these different things that I could take from my prior five years experience building a fashion brand and really bring a lot of value and kind of a new, younger, fresh perspective to Sourland Mountains to ultimately build it into the brand that I think we're really excited to continue to work on every day. Now, you're coming in this five years into the production, into the growth. So, Ray, from that standpoint, talk about the beginnings of the distillery and some of the things that you um, faced and some of the things that you achieved while that opened. How did that go for you? Well, the main thing was that I had to do everything myself, right? I mean, Erica does, uh, my, my wife, Sage's mom, uh, does extraordinary tastings and special events. Um, but, you know, on the sales side, it was, it was me. And over the first two and a half to almost three years, you know, I was doing everything and trying to keep the operation lean and mean. So it was me, a part-time assistant and a distiller right, to get things going. And then over time, I had to bring on additional salespeople, right? And then I did take a venture for a year in like 2018, dribble into 2019. I signed up with uh, two distributors in New Jersey, Peerless in the North and Kramer in the South. But luckily, I had listened to the seminars and symposium I've been going to now for, you know, six, seven years. And I always knew that distributors are really good at delivering and collecting checks, but they're not good at brand building, especially a small, no-name brand. So I only signed one-year deals with both distributors. And at the end of the year, decided, you know, we have to build this, especially in New Jersey ourselves. And then self-distribute. Correct. Through the process. Correct. It's it's fascinating to me, Ray, because more of, and, and you know, spirits, distilleries, breweries, I mean, the more we talk to owners the more it resonates the brand, how much brand building is so important because I think a lot of people get into this business and especially maybe even home brewing, transfer that to becoming a brewery and they think, you know, the name alone will or the beer alone, the product alone, the spirit alone will catapult them into those sales. And from what you're saying, Ray, and, and even Sage, in your experience, it's not that way. So, you know, look back historically. In 1995, we started Triumph Brewing Company. You know, we were six weeks short of being the first brew pub in New Jersey. Um, so I referred to Triumph as New Jersey's original brew pub because I did all the lobbying work and we paid all the lobbying bills to get the legislation. Yeah, you took the arrow and somebody in the back, who's a mess cook, beat you to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> still like the guy and his family. Good. How do you say? No, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. 
And, uh, but the difference was, in starting Triumph in 1995 in New Jersey, there was no good beer in New Jersey. No good beer, right? Starting Sourland Mountain Spirits in 2015, right? There's a lot of great spirits that have been made for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. Entirely different challenge to enter and build a brand. But still, I mean, we're 2021, and you're talking 2015. And I don't know the exact number off, my, off the top of my head, but you're still in the infancy where you're probably missing about three or four years into where distilled spirits had gone down that road to help change the laws but it wasn't like you entered the industry where there are a thousand distilleries, correct? A hundred distilleries. So that's where we had to pitch local, 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 right? Everybody, everybody across the entire country wants to support local when they can. Yes. Right. The other thing great about supporting local, especially you know farm stands, people don't come there to haggle about price. They're there to support their neighbors. You know, to support their local farmers, their local honey makers, and everybody else, and they're also there to get a quality craft product. Yeah, and so you. So point, that was the it's, upside. It's when craft, we entered. Right. right? It's craft. Correct. Correct. So, so people are willing to pay over for that spirit because number one, it's nothing like they probably ever had before. Correct. It's just a matter of getting them over or into a comfort zone to say, all right, I'll, I'll try this or let me try this and I'll buy a bottle or two or three, right? Yeah, yeah. So what I hear you say is that initially the sales process, were you doing farmer's markets and stands in the beginning? No. How, no. how did that go when you first opened? Uh, we, we just recently uh, got that legalized in the state of New Jersey. So uh, apparently the governor signed the legislation. Uh, to have us uh, legally to do farmers markets. I was just talking about, you know, a- a- assessing the broader market of local, local, local products okay. and people supporting it. All right. So what was the process for you in Sourland Mountain to start to introduce yourself to the public? How did people come to you? How did they find so your spirits? the whole idea was to build through concentric circles, right? So the first place we went to is Hopo Wine and Spirits, right? I've been going in there as a customer forever. And then to build out from there. And of course, I had a pretty good, you know, um, I was a recognized brand as the Triumph co-founder. And so I knew a lot of the local restaurateurs uh, as well as liquor people. So I started hyper-local, Hopewell, Princeton, Lawrenceville, Montgomery. And the plan was to build through concentric circles over time. What were some of the, so you'd never distilled before. No. How did it start for you to start distilling and learning the process? So um, my first distiller, I like to say he has the best name in the distilling business. His name was Camden Winkelstein. I love it. So Camden Winkelstein called me and I was like, no way, dude. That's really not your name. <laughs> He's like, don't, don't give me the hard time. But the way I found out about him is um, another uh, distillery owner up in North Jersey uh, who I know through you know social um, events and I called him up and I said hey Tim you know I'm, I'm looking for a distiller because Tom Stevenson who was the brewer at Triumph for 18 years was meant to be our distiller okay and he got cold beer feet you know three months before we're open he said you know what I'm really a beer guy I'm gonna work with Alex because there are plenty of beer guys I'm gonna or work beer with gals. Alex at Troon right here okay right because John McConaughey 
who owns the you know Double Brook Farm and Brick Farm Market and Brick Farm Tavern, the restaurant in the front of the property, <clears throat> he and Alex and I went through the approval process together. So we started with Hopewell Township. So we showed up, and I got to be the speaker because I was the triumph guy and also very involved in local politics. And I said, you know, in front of the uh, the head of the zoning board, he said, Mr. Dish, what brings you here tonight? And I said, well, I would like to build a distillery here in Hopewell Township. My friend Alex, to my right, wants to build a brewery, Troon, which is only 40 feet away from the distillery, the barn next to us. And, oh, by the way, you know, uh, the, the landlord and, and our friend John McConaughey needs to transfer a liquor license from the other side of Hopewell Township to the Brick Farm Tavern on the front of the property. And he literally looks down at me and goes, Good luck. <laughs> so all three of us got approval simultaneously. I feel like I'm watching the judge from uh, My Cousin Vinny right now. Um, Herman Munster, and I forget the guy's name right now. Yeah, I, I picture him looking down at you and saying, good luck. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Okay, and uh, you know, and, and asking you to come in next time with a, with a suit and tie and all that other stuff. Yeah, that exactly. Have, right? exactly. So you, how do you – good luck, but we're here today. Yeah, so we live two miles up the road, right? I'm very involved in, in, in everything political in Hopewell Township and have been for a long time and have had, you know, elected office and been chairman of the Democratic Party in Hopewell Township. So I was pretty well wired and pretty well known. And then on the booze side, known because of the success of Triumph, right? And um, so again, I kept an eye on the legislation. Uh, once it was passed, I started looking for sites. I literally was working with John uh, McConaughey. Actually, Sage was his intern for two summers, eight or nine years ago. And uh, when John originally began his dream, Sage and John put up some of the original fencing for all of his property where he raises, you know, all of his protein. And, and uh, was working with him on the early part of his dream. And then, uh, you know, I saw that he was doing renovations on the old manor house out front. And the word got out that he was turning it into a restaurant. And I literally wandered down the hill one day, got chatting with John. And I said, listen, you know, you've got any barns in the back that might be appropriate for a distillery? And he said to me, he said, yeah, he said, I have two. He said, but five days ago, a young kid from Montgomery, which is the next town over, Montgomery Township, Alex Helms, had come down because he wanted to start Troon Brewing Company, and he grabbed the other barn. I said, well, I guess I don't have any choice. He goes, well, it's this or nothing right now. I said, I'll take this barn. And that's how you ended up here? That's how we wound up here. Now, for you, again, not having any distillation experience, what was it like setting this up? I mean, did you have help doing that? So, back to Camden Winkelstein. Oh, right? yeah. Let's not <laughs> so, forget Camden. So Tom, yeah, Stevens, yeah, Tom, yeah. Tom Stevenson, <laughs> right, who was the brewer at Triumph in Princeton for 18 years, is now the assistant brewer with Alex at Troon. Okay. Right next door. So you have the 30-year-old... All he really needed to do was come the, the extra 100 yards. <laughs> he just wanted to stop there. But see, we worked together as a team, right? So it was John McConaughey and Alex and me together. And Tom was in all of those meetings as we were planning what we were going to do with this site and who was going to be in what barn. And they struck up a wonderful relationship they're well-suited for each other. They're extremely bright and extremely private people. So for them to hide out in their wonderful little brewery over there worked for them. But so Tom told me, you know, three months before I'm open, after I've been working with him for a year and a half, he goes, I'm really a beer guy. 
I could, you know, I could figure out how to distill, but I'm really a beer guy. Okay. So I called Tim, got Winkelstein, called Winkelstein, and he says, uh, I said, where are you? He goes, oh, I live in Plainsboro. I said, get out of here. I said, what's your background? He said, well, I went to Cornell, which is where I went. So we had that big red bond right off the bat. And he said, I, I studied engineering. And then uh, he was ROTC. He was a, a, a submariner on a nuclear submarine, the California, which is one bad boy. Thank God it's in our dock and not somebody else's dock. Okay. It's got 125 nukes on it. I mean, this is no... Is that is that secret? Are we supposed to tell people? I can't tell you. <laughs> okay. I can't tell you. I can't disclose. And I can't disclose my source. Good thing we're on a podcast. Right. No, he wouldn't tell me how deep and how fast they went. I, I, haven't noticed, I haven't noticed that the Soviet Union has been listening to the podcast from China. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe they'll be picked up now. Japan, I yes. I don't know. Do TikTok. Next thing you know, they'll be listening to you in the USSR. Okay. Or the old USSR. So I said to Winkelstein, I said, so what's your interest in distilling? He said, well, after I was in the Navy for seven years, I married my girlfriend from college. I said, well, why did you wait so long? He said, but we had a deal in college that the only way she would marry me if I promised never to show up at a drunken party again in Ithaca in his little Scottish outfit playing really bad bagpipes. She said, I'm not going to be married to somebody who was so terrible on bagpipes and ruined every party when they were in college together. So then after he left the, the, uh, the Navy, he married his girlfriend a week after they got married. He packed up and moved to Scotland to go full-time for a year at Harriet Watt University, the okay. only English-speaking college in the world to get trained as either a brewer or a distiller. So when I talked to him on the phone in Plainsboro, he'd only been home for a week. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I just spent the last year learning how to distill at Harriet Watt. And I said, well, how many people were in your class? He said, 64. I said, well, how did you, you know, how did you, where'd you graduate? He goes, well, I was number one. I said, Way to go, my boy. I said, get in the car and come over here immediately. I hired him on the spot. That is such a great story. Serendipity. Serendipity, right? Like Ben Stein always said, you can't win if you're not at the table. Right? Absolutely. you got to be at the table. So. Now, all right. Winkelstein was a blessing. Winkelstein helps you get set up. So he's going to be part of helping you procure all the equipment you need, the mash time. No, the equipment had already been... So how did you come to determine what equipment you needed without having a distiller on site to say, look, this is what we're going to need if you want to do gin, vodka, bourbon. Tom Stevenson and I did all the Oh, you had already done that. We worked together for a year and a half. Okay. Right? And that's how it happened. And that's how it happened. So you start running vodka. You start running moonshine. No, no. We started with vodka, gin, and silver rum. Right? Start with the white spirits. You've already spent two years not making any money. You know, pouring all your money into, you know, your, your friend's old abandoned tractor born. And, um, and uh, oh, when it came to the equipment side, one of my original partners and still partner, who was the architect of record for all of this, as well as for the Brick Farm Tavern and Troon, Peter Morgan. Peter Morgan said to me, he said, uh, probably, oh, I guess it was in early, early 2015 when we were still working on the business plan. He said, listen, there's this thing in England and in London specifically every year called Cocktail Week. And I said, well, leave it up to the Brits. I mean, we got a little cocktail hour. Leave it up to the Brits to have Cocktail Week. The whole week. And five years ago, it was all about in-town craft gin distilleries. I said, well, that's a legitimate business expense. 
and he had a friend he could stay with over there that he knew from high school. So Peter went over there. The first, at the end of the first day after the seminars, he went to one of the local pubs. Of course, everybody went to the local pub afterwards, and that's where he met the Hungarians, the people from Hagio, who were the people who made our equipment. So that's how we met them. Total random. If Peter didn't go to cocktail week, and Peter, like a good man, didn't go out and have some drinks afterwards, we probably would have wound up with a, a U.S. manufacturer. Maybe like Vendome or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Which we had already been getting prices from them. Okay. Now, because that's, you know, as a resource, there are only so many in the United States. As, even go back to 2015, they were still not ramped up to where they are today, Correct. right? Now, it sounds like everything's just, it's, I'm picturing like, um, What's that? What's that video game where like the the shapes kind of come down and Tetris? Tetris. I yeah. I feel like your life is Tetris. You just toggle it a little bit, and it slots right in. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and <laughs> and no matter what, you're making the line straight, and it works. My mother-in-law did my astrological chart about twenty years ago. Okay, up in a little cafe in Cambridge. And, you know, we're drinking espresso. We're drinking espresso, and I said, Antonia, you know, she was only on like my fifth or sixth house. I said, give me the executive summary, please. I need an executive summary. I'm like, I'm shaking like this. You get to the point already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She goes, well, there are 13 houses. I said, I don't know if I'm going to last. And she looked at me and she goes, you're lucky and you'll always be lucky. And I'm like, that's awesome. And she goes, secondly, you were black in your last life. I said, rock on, sister. I always knew that. Okay. That's fascinating. All Crazy, that stuff, right? That's just fascinating. Now... I guess my question is, you know, you're, you're lucky, you're, you're following the steps, you're setting this up, you're going through the process. Um, Herman Munster said you'll never have good luck, but here you, has, has, has he been into the distillery? Has he had any spirits here, by the way? No, we removed him the next week. Oh, no. Because See, that's what, what, what he did know is the mayor at the time was one of my original partners. Hoorah! Oh, wow. Come on. All right. Serendipity, again. You're you're up and running. You're distilling some spirits. Talk about like that aha moment, or maybe a couple of them for you when you knew you were onto something. Gin, all about the gin. Okay. So we worked on the gin recipe for a year and a half, and Tom was very instrumental. Tom Stevenson again, the old brewer from Triumph. Still get to see him every day, hobbling around, pulling spent grain in and out, and, you know, making beer, and he. Um, he was, uh, before he worked at Triumph for 18 years, he was the head horticulturalist over at Bowman's Tower in Bucks County, PA. Okay. Tom literally knows the Latin name. He's a little bit of a Rain Man kind of character, right? So is his buddy over there, Alex. He knows the Latin name of everything that grows on this planet. And he also knows how they interact with each other and how they interact with alcohol. Because he would frequently make, you know, botanical rich beers and fruity beers when he was at Triumph. So all of that came together to say, you know what? Vodka's vodka. Vodka's very easy to make. I like to say it's 200% marketing. And when I was selling it, I'd say to the, the, to the buyer, our vodka's as good as anybody's and better than most. But it's vodka. And they appreciated that. So I thought, we're not going to be able to really define ourselves by offering just vodka. I want to be able to go into the marketplace with at least two products to increase my chances of them buying at least one. So I got a 50% chance they're going to buy one or the other. But I thought, you know what? Let's focus on the gin. The opportunity is to create a world-class gin. We worked on it for a year and a half. 
We did 70 test distillations, starting with a really small still on somebody's stove somewhere. Was that you? It maybe was not me. Yeah, maybe I mean, it was safe. Maybe it was safe. Somebody I mean, I, I, I have to tell you, all the times we talked, I really enjoyed our time together. It was on the phone or here. However, I would have remembered those times. <laughs> <laughs> so a year and a half, 70 test distillations, we messed around with 50 botanicals until we got it right. So the aha moment was when Mr. Winkelstein and Tom Stevenson and I looked at each other and said, we got it. This is a game-changing product. And so six or seven months ago, the American Distilling Institute, ADI, uh, awarded us with, you know, what I like to say is uh, our, our first double gold, right? Because there were 271 products entered. Gin sort of boldly or in five different categories. So we won a gold for the botanical category, and then we won best overall. So that is a great compliment. I mean, that, that's like, cool. That's like the ultimate, that, right? Right. Because when one of your children hits a home run... You celebrate. A grand slam, you blow for a week, right? <laughs> well said. Yeah. Now, I guess my question is, I mean, Sage, you're seeing all this, I guess, at least from what I recognize from afar. Mm-hmm. You're watching Dad put this together. What's that experience like for you to see, you know, Sourland Mountain grow from, from the inception to where it is and, and where you come aboard? Yeah, it was very cool to watch the progression. Um, it was very much from afar, you know, um, and I'm sure you've gotten this insight as you've talked to all these different entrepreneurs and founders. But, you know, when you're in the early years or the early stages of building a business, it's all consuming. So for me, I was in my own little planet working in the fashion industry, building a network in New York City, trying to raise money for that venture. So it was it was a very um, I think from afar is the right way to, to talk about it. You know, I'd come back here maybe every couple months. I'd come for long weekends in the summer. Your dad would say, try this, try this, try this. We just yeah. distill this. How do you think? What do you think, right? And he'd have new spirits. He'd talk about, you know, some of the big wins. Hey, we just got into this great account. Or we just signed on with a new distributor. Or, hey, we got this new great salesperson who we brought onto the team. Um, so it was cool to see the progress. But I, I, it was a very, very surface level observation. And I never really got to understand everything that he was putting into it, everything that they were doing kind of on the ground level. Um, So then to be able to kind of peel back the onion and try and put together that timeline to better understand how we can shift it in the future, that was the coolest part of coming on board was being able to dig into that history and understand what were the last four or five years like and how does that impact where we are now and how we can use that to move forward. Hey, how'd you get so animated and articulate? Uh, I think I had a good good role model. There's no, there's no shortage of humility for you, is there, right? <laughs> but you're proud. Well, hey, okay, when you get to live to be 66, you know, you got to grow a little bit. <laughs> you only got 40. I have a wonderful partner in the construction You only got 44 business. years at least to go. So. <laughs> I have this wonderful partner, amazing partner in the construction business that we have together in town. And I said, Jim Baxter, who is an amazing person, I said, you don't crow enough, you know? And he looks at me and he goes, you crow too much. There you go. <laughs> for the both of us. So you've, you've, you've grown here and there. What were some of those, like, did you have those experiences, Ray, where you kind of wanted to throw up your hands and say, maybe just go oh, back to beer? Oh, so six months in, great question. You like Joe Rogan kind of yeah. guy? Is he like your man? Is he your man? He calls me for advice all the time. <laughs> you know, so, you know, yeah, talk, that, talk about self-confidence. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. good. So back at you. But six months in. And, and, and if he has my number, really, he would call. <laughs> but, uh, we would have had him here. Um, so six months in, 
me, Tom, Camden Winkelstein. We had a batch, and we're like, you know, we're getting ready to open pretty soon. You know, we got to have this product ready to go. I don't know how much more time we can spend on it. And it turned out that we have 12 botanicals in our gin. It turned out that three of those botanicals, not to diss the Chinese, but had been shipped from China and had been sprayed with a preservative. So we made it not knowing. We're close. We've got, I think we were up to seven or eight botanicals. And uh, there were three of them that were bad. And all of a sudden we took a taste. And are you a Jersey guy? I am. Okay, good. Then you will relate to this. It tasted, if you can taste, disgusting. But it smelled like low tide in August in Barnegat Bay. I gotcha. And the flies are coming in too, Molten aren't they? Molten mollusk. Mmm. Yeah. Really good. So it's real we, funky. It's real we nasty. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. No, it was undrinkable. We're like, oh, God, back to start. So luckily, Winkelstein's sponsor uh, and, and uh, head professor at Harriet Watt is considered one of the gin experts in the world. So I said, listen, we, you know, we got to sign a consulting agreement with this guy because we got to solve this problem quick. And um, through making separate distillations with just Juniper and, you know, Botanical A, and then Juniper with just Botanical B, that's how we found out what had happened with these three botanicals. I can only imagine that. I can only, because you kind of set that up. We're six months away, right? Yes. From opening. Yes. You're starting to build that brand. You're starting to build the, the community saying, you know, when can we taste it? When can we have it? What's, and then all of a sudden it's like, you're in that, you had that like, oh shit moment. It was dreadful. I can only imagine. It was dreadful. I thought we were hosed. I thought we were hosed and we were hanging our hat on defining our introduction to the market with a world-changing gin. All right, I have to do this now because we've been talking gin, gin, gin. Let's try some. <laughs> okay, so we've—I've got two expressions of—I've got two expressions of gin here. I've got a barrel-aged reserve, the gin reserve, and I have the traditional gin, the twelve bacant. Botanical gin. I haven't even started drinking. We call yet. it our flagship. This yeah. is your flagship. Yeah. So, talk about the botanicals because I know we just we had a whole conversation about what was interacting. What was this is something really to think about because you know I mean distillers when you when you go and you try a distilled spirit you don't understand all the process to get there, especially with gin. Gin seems to be that as much as people don't necessarily um, you know there, there's that segment of of, of, of consumer. That don't they don't like gin? They don't want to try gin. Don't get and then they try it and then it becomes their favorite spirit. But there's so much talked about it, right? There's so much thought process when you talk about the botanicals. How much juniper do you add? What is what really? How do you want this to be forward? Is it floral? Is it citrus? Is it spicy? So talk about how you kind of structured that and what we're having so now. We we did some focus groups um, even before we started to work on the recipe. And we sort of have in our head that, you know, the love or hate is probably around juniper. And I remember one of the women in the focus group, and we were behind the, you know, the one-way glass, right? So we're watching this. A little, little, little creepy, but interesting. And she says, the guy says, well, what do you think of juniper? And she looks at him and she goes, well, why don't you just whip me in the face with an old Christmas tree? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I hate it, right? 
And we found out very quickly. I also had one, one woman show up at a tasting after we were up and running. And she, all I had was the gin and the vodka. And she comes up. She goes, I'll try the vodka. How, and I said, well, how about the gin? Our gin's really our, our, our flagship product. She looks at me. She goes, hey, pal, gin and I are dating. And I don't know which way it's going to go. And I okay. thought, can you come back in again? So I can <laughs> Right? So it's all about the juniper, just like you said. And it's either love or hate. So we decided after doing these, you know, three focus groups over about six weeks that we were going to deliberately pull back on the juniper and add our difference, our footprint, our fingerprint through botanicals. What really comes off, and, and, and I always say, I mean, right now it's, it's, it's cold. It's been in the bottle. I guess the temperature here is probably somewhere in the 60 degree mark. Um, so as this warms up, I'm sure there's some more oils that'll start to play out. Yes. But you do get your juniper; it's there. Um, I get a lot of citrus notes on here, orange and lemon. That's um, like on the second page. Yep. yep. But <laughs> I also get, you know, what really comes out is is that rosemary that seems to be very pronounced mm-hmm. on the nose, um, and then I get a little bit of spiciness. I mean, and and. It's also, I always look at this, it's you're, the power you're on, you're of, it's the power of suggestion, because if I look down, I see sage. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's the sage. Not you sage, <laughs> this sage. Um, but, you know, it's hard, I, I think it's hard to, I, I think it's hard to get, an, I mean, unless you start to, to really discern, I, I don't know what orris root smells like, and, and I'm curious, when you look at those items, where orris root came in, and, and, and of all the things you could have picked, what was it that stood out that So helped? that was specifically that and almond were suggested by Camden Winkelstein's professor. Okay. So that was that consult- consultation to say, here, I think this, as you start to introduce this, it's going to blow this to the next stratosphere. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. And nuts, I've been told, have, you know, big molecules, nuts, right? All nuts, big molecules. I'm scared and as to where you're going with this, Ray. I don't know where to go with that. But that's the way he explained it to us with a heavy British accent. I'm like, I like this guy already. And I said, what, did, what does the nut do, right, into this 12 botanical gin? He said it... it, it I can almost quote them. It brings the flavors together, right? So they sing together, but doesn't diminish the importance of each voice. Ooh, love it. Yeah, because here's what you have to remember. Sometimes if you're in an orchestra, it doesn't mean you're going to solo. So what I really, and I tasted this while you were talking about it, what I really think I pull out with the almond I think it gives you a little bit of a creaminess to the to the gin. Exactly. And what it now does is it helps to. It, it, it's almost like the almond is a conveyance of what would come the peppery notes. Then you get the cardamom, um, and and again, I don't still don't know what orris root tastes like or <laughs> smells like or anything. But so all you got to do is go to your friend's garden, and you got to dig up. The roots of his iris plants. Oh, really? Flowers, which he's not going to be too happy about. Okay. And take a sniff. That's what that is. Yeah. But, you, you know, and here's what I was saying. On the nose, you do get that juniper. It's a nice, it's a nice, pleasant juniper. It's not somebody, what you say, whipping somebody in the face? Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's it's nice and pleasant. You get almost the, the, the mintiness of, of that juniper. And I think that also is where you get that rosemary and the sage that come in. But... It really, it's a very enjoyable citrus note, floral note through the palate. And then the spices take over. 
the spices sit there. And I love gin. I wasn't a big gin drinker until, you know, Dawn and I started on this fermented adventure. Mm. And we, gin to me is the expression of, of craft that, say, say a bourbon is. Because there's so much that you can play with this. And the next one you have is the barrel-aged gin. And people don't necessarily realize the um, the flexibility or, or the ability that you can do with gin and sartase and barrel-aged. And then you start – I'm always curious. Great lead got, on the See, here's what I know. You've got so many bottles here. I'm wondering what other expressions of gin are going to be in the works as you move forward. Great comment on your bourbon hook. Okay. Because here's what we say. If gin and bourbon had a baby, that would be be the barrel-aged gin. Okay. So you're absolutely right. And yes, it's my two favorite spirits to make. Now, I'm guessing, and and I'm going to guess, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's a corn base? Correct. Okay. Um, And you do... 100% corn, right, and... Organic. Now, what I would also say is, so, you know, sometimes people will take that gin and they'll distill it to the fact that you really don't recognize the grain base. Mm -hmm. But I think this is still here. You still get some sweetness in the corn. And and that's also sitting on the palate at the end. This is delicious. I can understand why you are really proud of this. And it's something that is your flagship product until, I guess... People start trying your bourbon and all the other spirits. And we haven't even gotten to the coffee of liqueur yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm going to enjoy this gin. Talk about um, you know, talk about how this came about and for you what the decision-making process was to do a barrel age or a barrel rest. So gin. i got to tell you, you know, I've been to um, Bar Hill twice up in Vermont. Uh, they make a phenomenal gin. Correct. He's a big fan too. Um, and uh, I loved everything about it and everything that they did. And they were really my inspiration for, one, to have a flagship gin that really stood out, and two, to have, you know, a barrel-aged product right alongside when it was time. So it says on the bottle, no less than six months Yeah. in, in an American oak barrel. Is this a used barrel with bourbon already in it? Because I know we are talking about... bourbon barrel. We're talking right. about the conception of the baby. Yep. So bourbon barrel. Okay. Are, are those your bourbon barrels? Correct. Now. Correct. That's going to... What's that? I was just going to add in, it's honey lined. So one of the things... All right, talk that, about that. All right. Honey, we, we, honey wash. I forgot about the honey wash. There you it's go. Huge. Again, inspired by Bar Hill. Yeah. You do get a nice sweetness on this. Um, and then here's what I'll tell you. With That's pretty damn good. Isn't this it? is not just damn good. This is fantastic. It really is. It's delicious. I agree. This is bananas. So my tattooed and pierced, you know, uh, excuse me, nine wonderful nephews. Okay, I didn't know, didn't where, know where I was going. There's We're going to have to. Yeah, this is going to be a two part. This, this, yeah. this is going to be our. This is going to be our first two part podcast because there's there's this is almost therapy for you, isn't it, Ray? <laughs> I love it too. I love it. Yeah. I love teaching people about it and talking about it and growing about and, it. And apparently bit. piercing and tattooing people, I guess. <laughs> 
So my my nine crazy you know nephews refer to this as Uncle Ray's sipping gin. Gotcha. Which I thought was you know it was around a fireplace and we were all well fixed up in the Adirondacks when they came up with this. We were sitting around the fire sipping it and and they all said you know what I've never sipped gin and enjoyed it before. And they call this Uncle Ray's dessert gin. All right. So this is this is the key here. Yeah. Because this is what Kraft is doing. Because gin in itself is known as dad's drink or so true. a cocktail base or what I drank when I was somewhere between 16 and 20 and I got really wrecked that night. We yeah. talk about this all the time. And then the next thing you know, somebody, like you're doing an agave spirit now. So people have that um, affliction if they've had a bad tequila night that they won't touch tequila. I think that what Kraft is doing now in, um, in, in the agave sector is, is going to be really interesting mm. because, number one, it's obviously a unique spirit to the craft industry for, you know, outside of Mexico when you start to think tequila. But it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I'm, I'm looking at a picture that you handed me, Ray. The from in the middle is me. All right, so this is the 1970s. Years in Mexico. Gotcha. This is his tequila night. This is my tequila night. All right, we'll have to take a picture, and this will go on the podcast. <laughs> Drinking now, tequila for 12 hours, wound up at this place in Ensenada called Who Songs. Um, shortly after that picture, we got temporarily arrested, taken downtown for about six hours. And um, the next morning, I woke up face down in the sand, and my best friend Jamie, who was in that picture... Woke up with my date in my sleeping bag, and I swore I would never do it again. Um, have a best friend or? Drink <laughs> tequila. Drink tequila. <laughs> All right. Now, I, I guess I don't want to get too far off the, yeah, yeah. the podcast. But my question is, do you still talk to anybody in this picture? All of my buddies. Okay, good. I have three best buddies from high school. We talk every week. I love it. It's amazing. I love it. Now, Ray... You've done it. This will be the first time. I have no idea where we're going, but I'll figure it out as we go. Um, you brought up tequila, not I, me. I, I brought up agave spirit. So we're, we're enjoying this gin reserve. And one of the things that really comes about it is it, you know, Sage, to your point, people really don't know what to expect when they have a barrel-rested gin, right? Yeah. Or a barrel-aged gin. Yeah. It's not something that you would probably expect to have. So nobody knows what to do with it, right? So what's what's your experience with that? So it's been a fun journey. Um, when I first joined the business on March 27th, 2020, I was going through and I was working with our distiller and I was saying, hey, can you get me up to speed, right? Historically, I'd been primarily a beer drinker from growing up around Triumph and then going to college, a shitty beer drinker, and then now starting to get into better spirits, right? And I tried that for the first time and it just blew my mind because I didn't know what I was drinking. I had nothing to compare it to. I'd never had an aged gin. And I think once you start educating people, they get really excited because the wheels start turning. And they start understanding, okay, what can you do with the gin? Why haven't I experimented with this type of a spirit? And the fact that the gin reserve is able to, and this is where it's a little different from the Bar Hill, where the Bar Hill one is incredibly smooth. It's very sweet. It's, it's got more honey, honey. It's more honey focused. Bingo. What this one does, which is very different, is you still get all those botanical notes, both in the nose as well as in the intro flavor. 
then you get that smooth ride where the honey transitions you into the oakiness of that bourbon flavor. I need a cigarette. Yeah, and I think that, <laughs> but that transition gets people excited. I you think you're right. You can see the wheels turning as they're going through that 10 second tasting experience and that's what gets people pumped about it. Here's the exciting part, and listening to you describe this, and, and this is your vision, right? This is how you see this working. Mm. So you're basically taking people on a journey that you want them to experience based on what you're putting in that bottle. And I can certainly see, and we've had um, other barrel-rested gins, which is just taking a good gin and putting it into a barrel. I think the key here is what you've done and where you're pulling the nuances out of your bourbon. You're taking the oak, but that honey, that honey wash that you're doing is very unique and very special. Yes. Now, now, Ray, I don't want to get too far. And I, I did ask one question. I saw you brought the agave spirit out to, for us to try. My question is, are there different, are, are there other gins that you're looking to release or are these where you're going to stay? Are you going to do a seasonal gin um, or, or another reserve, like a, a small batch gin? We've always, I've always wanted to do, and actually we experimented with it. Is uh, a gin with you know bergamot, Earl Grey tea. Gin and tea are extraordinary. I got to give a tip of the hat to my friends from Corgi. Corgi does. They they do what four or five different ones. They do an amazing. Um, they do an amazing Earl Grey or, oh, or right. yeah, yeah they do an amazing. They Earl sort of beat me to the punch. I was thinking about it. God bless them, and they're members of the guild. You know, which we started here three years ago, and they're good friends of ours. And I think that is an extraordinarily good product. And the other one I want to do for fun is, you know, Navy Strength. Those are the two that I'd like okay. to play with. What I see here is, and, and based on, you know, your entrepreneurial spirit, look, you know and you get excited by just creating new things and seeing what the public's going to respond to, right? All right, so talk about the agave. Why an agave? What are we trying here? So the agave uh, idea was something I had in the back of my head, but I have to give credit to... Um, our head distiller. Uh, and who is that? And Jeremy Myers, who was okay. one of the three founders of the Chamonix Creek Brewing Company, uh, was with us for a year. And then he got an offer that he couldn't refuse. And he's, um, he's the, the lead project manager to build an $11 million brewery in Germany. So he left us last Friday. Uh, but he was the one incredibly talented brewer and distiller. I mean, just extraordinary. I was so blessed when we got him, and I knew the whole time, you know, this guy's got a lot of stuff in front of him, and, you know, it might not always be with us. But um, we left on great terms, and I consider him sort of our our head distilling consultant uh, at this point. But he decided to do the agave. He kind of did it as a little surprise to say it, you know. You had no idea he was distilling this? I didn't. <laughs> so how do you keep something under wraps like that? Yeah, Jeremy's pretty good at that. Okay. He's, he's a remarkable I mean, are, are, Aren't you looking at the invoices when they come in, you know, saying, okay. <laughs> the, the, the agave juice? Yeah. Well, you know, I like to give people um, in their area of responsibility as much freedom as they can Gotcha. Take. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm not getting any smarter. You know, I'm getting older, but I'm not getting any smarter. So I'm more than willing to farm stuff out. And Jeremy, you know, has every skill set to be literally a master distiller or a master brewer if he chooses to. Now, this is your agave. This is Bandito Agave Spirit. Talk about Bandito. Talk about how this be- – I, I love, the, I love the, the, the label there too. How did this all come about? You talked about Jeremy kind of making this underneath the, the table. 
and uh, surprising you before he left? As soon as I heard Agave, it just popped into my head. Bandito! <laughs> and everybody said, it's a great idea. Okay. Let's give it a call. I, mean, I love I, I love the romance of, of somebody on a, a burrow or a horse there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I almost like see, you know, there's a there's a, a cape and a, a mask going on there. So it, it almost gives like this uh, this little bit of a, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're, we've, been, we've been riding around the plane and this yeah. is what's going to keep us going, right? So Sage and his wonderful girlfriend, Ava, who the first time I met her three years ago, Came to the house, I pulled Sage around the barn, and I said, buddy, here's the deal. After meeting her for 15 minutes, I said, if you don't marry her, I'm going to adopt her. This is a and key. she might get higher up on the will. <laughs> <laughs> so she and Sage came up with the entire label. I love but it. I, I love think, the color. I spot on. You know, one of the things we wanted to try and do is... It's always interesting, especially for us, having a couple core flagship products that are really what we lean on in the wholesale market and then having this whole other side of the business where it's focused on distiller exclusives, where it's super creative. It's extremely small batch. I mean, we only did 150 bottles for this batch one of the Bandito. And so what we get to do is have a little bit more fun on the branding side, especially with these one-offs. So what my girlfriend Ava and I wanted to do is we wanted to blend, you know, New Jersey's farm distillery and that great agricultural farm aesthetic that's associated with Sourlands with kind of the Native American, or not Native American, with the, uh, with the Mexican heritage of agave, of tequila, of that romance of kind of the West, right? So that's where we were trying to blend these two of having the, the figure on the horse with the long flowing cape surrounded by the Sourland mountain range in the back. We really wanted to try and blend those two ideas when we were putting together a cool label. Although, and today this is this is befitting because the Sourland Mountain Range apparently has snow on it. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, on the nose, it's funny because the first thing I got was butter. Buttered popcorn. It, it like, like, like now it's, it's there, but I'm also getting the, um, the herbaceousness of the agave spirit. Mm. But that was the first thing. It's like butter. Dripping butter popcorn on the nose. It was just... You're good. I'm like, good. is this tequila? You know, you're good. In describing it, but not wine salesman pretentious, <laughs> which is well, so awesome. Maybe if, I said it, maybe if I said it, I clenched my teeth when I said it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Muffy would be sitting next to me. That'd be fine. Um, so I, but, but what that does is it, this is something I'm like, well, I'm enjoying the nose. And now I can't wait to try this to yeah. see you know, what, what the flavor is. Now, what was your experience when you first tried this? What was this like for you? Hey, I want to try, I'm making agave, an agave spirit. What do you think? So what Jeremy does and did is every time he makes something, he brings, you know, a bottle one, batch one over to, uh, to my office. And, but first he came over with just a little cup of it. And I tasted it and I, I said, it's incredibly smooth and incredibly clean but I don't have anything to compare it to because I had never had an agave. Okay. So I'm in the back of my mind, you know, I'm puking 1970, you know, tequila down in Mexico is what I'm thinking. And, um, but I, I literally got none of those bad memories at all. So then I said to Caroline, you know, my assistant, I said, we, we got to go and see online and see if anybody else has made this. And she's just checking, she's checking, she goes, it looks like a place in California. And I said, what town? And she goes, go. And I said, Golita? And she goes, yeah, Golita. 
Well, one of my three buddies from high school, you know, it's, it's Jamie, Clark, and Bob. Bob lives in Goleta. Get Bobby on the phone real he quick. got you a bottle? Send the bottle. But when it got here, we're looking at it, and it had sort of a light wine color to it, and it had been finished in a Chardonnay barrel. Delicious. I can, that's just, yeah. Delicious, by the wow. way. Delicious, by the way. But I literally, and Jeremy was offended because I said, I have nothing to compare it to. He said, well, why do you need to compare it? He says, tell me what you think of it. I said, well, I told him. It's, it's, it's clean and, and it's sweet and it's smooth. But again, I had nothing to compare it to. So there aren't very many that we found. Actually, the one in Goleta was the only one that we found so far, agave in the U.S. What I get out of this, that butter comes through in the same way the almond comes through in your gin. It's a nice buttery note and a nice buttery smoothness. You get melon. Now look, something you melon? want. Melon. Like I get, I get like like a honeydew melon on on the flavor profile. You also get you know the fruitiness or or the um, the fruit flavor of the agave spirit. Now, but one of the things, and, and look, if you're going to drink a, a tequila and a nice sipping tequila, it, this is a ninety proof product. You want that proof there. Yeah. You, you do want that. Let's not forget, it's still a spirit. You want to be reminded that you're 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 drinking a spirit. Sometimes and you you feel the heat on this one, which is there's what a I really nice like. yeah, yeah. There's a nice burn there. Yeah. But I would say with this, um, at the end, you know, there's a nice dryness note to that that makes you just want more. And maybe maybe that's the the key as to why you know you just keep drinking tequila, tequila, tequila. That's interesting. <laughs> but this is. This is unique. It, I think I think the reason I was drinking more tequila is not that I wanted to have more. I wanted I'm to, afraid where you. I wanted say. to get lucky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not pretend. <laughs> but I, I think this very much stylistically fits in with the rest of our spirits because I think subtlety is something that's really important from our flavor profile. As I've started to taste more of what we've produced, and I think this hits on you get a little bit of the sweetness, you get a little bit of the spiciness. And then you get a lot of the smoothness, but all the notes are very subtle, similar to the gin, even similar to the gin reserve, just in terms of the style of the spirit. Now, my question is, is some of this going to end up in a barrel somewhere? And you're shaking your head yes. Um, I think Jeremy already put one in a barrel did he? before he left. Okay. Yeah, yeah now, the sec- second batch is, is in the barrel. In the barrel. I yeah. can't imagine how that barrel, it, 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 was that honey washed? Was it the same? Was it just a charred oak bourbon barrel? What did you do? Is it a secret right now? We're not going to tell anybody. I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> you have no idea. We're going to have to you find have out. No idea. <laughs> yeah. So, so a week ago, somebody was running the helm back there. You have no idea what, what come, <laughs> maybe come out of there, right? Absolutely. This is going to be fun for you, too. Well, he, well, tell him about the surprise that he left us on. Oh, so, you know, he, he, the end of uh, his last day last Friday, he always calls me boss for some reason. And so he comes over and says, boss. Because you sign his check. That's <laughs> yeah, why. You <laughs> if you sign my check, you're boss. I think it's just because I'm old and I have a, a boss pickup truck. Okay. okay. Um, so he calls me over. And he's got one of our uh, 53-gallon wooden barrels in the middle of the distillery space. And then next to it is one of those oversized wine barrels, right, sitting right next to it. He said, well, do you know what's going on here? I said, well, I know that I filled that barrel three years ago with bourbon. It's one of our, you know, few three-year-old bourbon barrels that we did as soon as we got into making bourbon. And I said, well, and the other one looks like a wine barrel, but I don't know much about it. 
he said, well, I've taken it upon myself to leave you with a little surprise and something to remember me by. And hopefully we can celebrate the year when we open it. So he took the three-year and poured it into from um, York Cellars, the uh, winery over here in Ringo's, into an old um, Cabernet barrel. I was thinking Cabernet. Mm-hmm. That's good. Bigger the better. That's mine. When it comes yeah, to booze be and beer, there. bigger the better and wine. Perfect segue. Because, look, every distillery, not everyone, but, you know, if you open a distillery, it seems like you're, you're heading down that path of, of, of brown spirits. You want to start laying down barrels. You obviously know that you've got to open up the clears to get business in, to get money flowing. Right. So talk about your, um, your bourbon. Talk about the plan that you had for bourbon and, and, and just the path that you've been on so far. So right now what I'm hearing you say is you got a 53 somewhere or maybe a number of 53s that are three years old and slowly becoming four years old. So talk about the path of your bourbon. So, you know, barrels and, and bourbon in particular uh, go to age in what they call a rickhouse, right? The rickhouse... We don't have too many of those in New Jersey. Correct. <laughs> well, you're, you're good. At, you're like my Ed McMahon. <laughs> exactly the right direction. So, you know, down there, they can be 200,000, 300,000 square feet, seven yeah. stories high. Uh, that's a rickhouse. We, on the other side of the pond here on site, have what I call a Rick Hut. It's 30 by 15, but it'll accommodate 153-gallon barrels. And we've just, over the last few months, uh, we ran out of floor space, so we're racking up three barrels high now. And we've got about, right around 100 barrels of primarily bourbon, also the barrel-aged gin, and also our gold rum aging in our Rick Hut. Now we're looking for more space, which is a good problem to have. Talk about really. All right, so you decided to lay down some bourbon. Talk about your mash bill. Shaking your head the doesn't mash- come out on a podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> the mash bill, roughly, and you know we're still playing with it a little bit, right? Okay. Tweaking it here and there, but it's it's roughly sixty percent American corn, twenty percent rye, and twenty percent malted barley. Now, is this your vision of the bourbon that you enjoy? How did you come about deciding for that mash bill? So, Jeremy had a lot to do with the most recent barrels. I mean, over the last year, we put away three or four times what we put away over the previous two years before he got here. And, um, you know, I had some minimal conversations with him, but because he's so talented and so experienced, I kind of let him go. And the one thing that he's done with subsequent batches is increase the corn and increase the rye and pull back on the malted barley a little bit. And we both agree that we love rye. We love the taste of rye. We love rye bread. We love every, you know, rye whiskey. We love everything rye. Here's what I would say. I mean, you know, you travel around. Pennsylvania certainly rye is, is a... It's in their DNA. Yeah. Maryland. It's there. Um, Kentucky, Tennessee are really starting to embrace rye. Indiana starting to embrace rye um, even more. I mean, even that, you know, you could say it was in their DNA. New Jersey? I mean, I think that's to the infancy of the distilled, uh, the, the, the distillery, you know, spirit um, industry in New Jersey to say that rye hasn't been, you know, that that grain that seems to come about. I mean, I know that, um, um, you know, we've, we've done some podcasts with some New Jersey distilleries, but right now laying down some just straight rye, I don't, is that in a plan for where you are at right now or not? Jeremy's already done it. Okay. So it's back there. (laughs) It's over there at the, in the Rick hut. 
in the Rick Cup. Okay, exactly. so you have so you have some rye, and I think that from a standpoint, when you when you travel around New Jersey, rye is not a grain forward you know spirit that you're going to find, right? No, no. So I think that that's great that you're you know, Jeremy. You know, makes a fabulous product, right? But that's Pennsylvania, correct? And um, and they come from a Monongahela style, so they're pulling their lineage from Western Pennsylvania, exactly. So they have that ingrained in their DNA. Yes, but again, New Jersey. I think when you look at New Jersey, and this is just me. Kind of visualizing, it was more you know brandies. It was more you know. I think brandy you know, in particular. When you think of Calvados, um, you start to think about you know corn spirits. You start to think about um, you know even even I guess going back rums because of the proximity to the coast. Yeah, it was it was rum and brandy. Yeah, back in the day, and our our apple brandy, by the way, extraordinary. And we go about four miles up the road to Trujillo's Orchard which is considered one of the top boutique orchards in the entire country. And we get 275-gallon tote of uh, sweet cider from them and then distill it and age it. It's a fabulous product. So yeah. what – go ahead. What are you going to say, Sage? Oh, I was just going to say in terms of the age products, it's been really exciting at least in the you know 10-plus months since I've been here to see the results of all the work that Jeremy and my dad put into starting to lay the foundation for our barrel age program, you know, two, one year, two years, three years, four years ago. Cause now we're at the point where we've got a steady supply of one year bourbon coming off. Uh, we're going to double that production in April, which we're really excited about, which will allow us to bump that up to a 750 and really start pushing that in a big way to our wholesome channel. Uh, we've got a steady supply now of a two-year straight bourbon whiskey coming off. And that's what we're having right now. We're having a two-year straight. That's what's in my glass right here, right? Yeah. Uh, we started to be able to do some small batch like we did. Uh, what was the one? Double oaked. Yeah, we did double oaked. Sold out in a week. Where we finished it Fantastic. in a five-gallon barrel, which added a lot of flavor, incredible color, gave it like a cool ruby redness. Um, and then in terms of what my dad was talking about, uh, next month we're going to be coming out with a monthly allocation of apple brandy. And we're going to be coming out with a monthly application or monthly allocation of a farmer's whiskey with every raw material source from the state of New Jersey, which we're really excited. Now about. that was my question because you talked about corn, you talked about rye. Where are you sourcing your greens right now that are in the barrels in your rick hut? So primarily from a uh, second generation family farm in Ringo's, Zang Z E N G. Okay. And uh, of course, we got to get the malted barley uh, someplace else. That comes from Northern Delaware. All right, but that's, you know, I mean, it's close. It was the best we can. Right, you're not going to Michigan. No. I mean, I mean, look, and, you know, you, if you want to do a small batch, I mean, you can pull barley, malted barley from a lot of places because you're going to get the character, the the, the flavor, the, um, you know, what, what that's going to interact with, with your spirit. So, you know, obviously being a craft spirit distiller, you can do anything. You're not like, you, you like to be local. That's one of the things you hit on. Local, small business. Yes. And you want to serve the community. But let's face it, you're also growing your brand. Right. So, you know, your agave spirit didn't come local. I mean, your agave Correct. juice, right. You have to Correct. you have to source that from some, you know, out, out of the area. So that's well, he, understandable. He just had an agave itch, you know, that he had to scratch. And thank God he did. It's extraordinary. Well, here's – look, I, I hate to sound selfish. Because that's some of the itches that I like to scratch. But so you've got a brewery right there. Have you done any collaborations of any of the beer runs? That yes, yes. Okay, we have. So Alex a while ago made a uh, mango IPA, and you know Alex is such an extraordinary brewer. When I got the chance to taste something that didn't come out right, 
I put the trauma in. I was like, <laughs> this is the worst stuff I've ever tasted. And um, so we went and bought a couple hundred pounds of uh, mango and, um, and, and redistilled it and let it rest. And I think we might have a sample of it here. But uh, yeah, I, I would so. have to say no, no, I will not drink all of that for you. I, I won't drink all of it. I'll just drink a little bit. We, we do have some here. Now, all right. That, that, so I, I love it when there's that collaboration. Yes, especially, we want to do more and more. Especially when you look at your brewery heritage. Yeah. And the the things that you have to be able to source from uh, a stout whiskey. Agree. Um, all the things that you know in your mind as a brewer that you can transfer into a distilled spirit. Yeah, we have a lot more planned. Well, we also have this. Uh, you're pointing to your apple oh, pie moonshine. Oh, the apple pie moonshine. And um, distilled using fermented grain wash from Troon Brewing Company. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's what I love to hear. That's what I love to see because yeah. it really brings the community. You're talking about where you're sourcing your apples from. You're talking about where you're sourcing, you know, you're, you're getting some barrels and you're sharing some barrels. So when, when people come in, they're able to say, wow. All right, now I'm going to go over there because I just had something that's sat, you know, that, that has sat in their Cabernet barrels. Yes. Yes. You're promoting the, you're promoting. It's awesome. Absolutely. Sage, now where is all, where did you come in all this? <laughs> I mean, like. I sit and listen a lot of times. But, but here's what I, <laughs> but here's what I get. I honestly, you know, dad's been building the Apollo rocket project and, and he's, he's put the man on the moon. But you're going to take the business to Mars. There we go. I like that. I mean, Keep this guy. Keep this guy. <laughs> no, but he's but, making our fortune. <laughs> Did you tell everybody you're our brother-in-law? No, I, I, not yet. No, but uh, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think that's that's a great read. Um, you know, to build a business and get it from an idea and a concept to what it is today takes a Herculean effort. Um, and I think my dad is, you know, one of those few people that is uniquely suited to go through that type of a journey, right? He's a dreamer. He's unbelievably passionate. He's a community person. He knows every single person in Hopewell and the greater area. So I think like his, his passion and creativity in terms of just the need to create and the need to build and the need to create community has allowed Sourlands to become what it is today. And I think where I'm really excited to come in and contribute is to think about, okay, we've got this great craft business. We've got an incredible following in Central Jersey. What's next? Right? So I'm trying to think about how do we streamline our product portfolio? How do we really focus and create the gin as our hero product? And then think about all these other supporting spirits that continue to allow him and our distilling team to keep that creativity and that excitement rolling and to give people a reason to come visit the distillery, to learn about the process and to see all these cool things like an agave spirit that we're coming out with. Um, so a lot of what I've been doing over the last 10 months is one learning, right? There's so much going on in this space. There's so much movement in craft and specifically in New Jersey, there's so much opportunity. And then two has been thinking about how do we grow and how do we streamline? So that, that's what I've really been focused on is, you know, really keying in on the product, the sales, the marketing, and the branding, and just trying to tighten everything up so that we can take this great package that we have in central New Jersey and start bringing it to other parts of the state. I get the sense from, you know, hearing what you're focused on that, to me, that's the missing piece that you've 
you've you've now put into place. It's it's really you know now you can come to really communicate. These are first rate spirits, and truthfully, you know, look, Dawn and I, it's our fermented adventure. We get in the car and we have a plan in mind, and we're gonna go here, and then our journey is let's see where we end up. Let's see if there's a distillery in the area. We've been doing this now, you know, for four years on our own and had not been to Sourland Mountain Spirits. And then I get to, I met your wife who was just delightful, taking us through the tastings. And that's important because if you have, and she's family, of course, there's this passion that, we, you know, even she communicated for each spirit in the bottle. You got to try this. This is, yeah. you know. This is, you know, what we're making. This is what we're producing. The, the thing is now, now this becomes a destination. Let's face it, where you are right now, if somebody wants to enjoy a great afternoon, you've got this restaurant here who, as you touched on, Ray, he's, he's growing his own protein. He's growing, you know, he, he's, he, it's a he's farm. He's got his own slaughterhouse. This guy's the real right, deal. It's a farm to table. It's, you're going to get fresh quality ingredients to start. Correct. You've got a great brewery here with a phenomenal lineage, and you pull it all together with this distillery. This can be an afternoon. This is the dest- the only thing you guys are missing right now is a bed and breakfast right here on the property. I was going to say soft ice cream. Oh well, <laughs> and a go-go joint. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to go in front of the Hopewell board again, and you know, look, why not? I mean, no, you're absolutely right. I think that that's this is you know so when you look at this area I mean Hopewell let, let's not lose sight of what the history of Hopewell has anyway you've got a nice little town space a couple uh, of shops and restaurants and things this can really be a nice destination and I think that's the next level that when we talk about um, the craft spirit industry we talk about that destination um, experience come here try our spirits you know share the community. And really become ingrained. And once COVID's, you know, we can move past COVID a little bit. I think that'll give people a a sense of more permanence. Yeah. That they can really come and enjoy. Now, talk about, look, there's two two places I want to go before. I mean, you've been generous with your time. Thank you so much. I know you've got a a busy day ahead. I I don't want to lose sight of of the bourbon that we just tried. Um, And a couple questions I have. You you mentioned 53-gallon barrels. And it's a two-year spirit. Um, so my initial question or thought was, was that aged in a 53-gallon barrel or was that a smaller barrel that we're trying the, the two-year straight? 30. That's a 30. Char, char three. Char three. Now, at what point are you now graduated? Are you talking within a year? You'll be only pretty much – now you can start introducing those 53s to the public. Is that about where you're at yeah, we want to wait to that four year. Okay, so right now when people so when people come here, they're gonna you know you again. I don't look at the. I, I know people get caught up. Oh, that's only a thirty. That's a ten. That's a twenty five. And then they they stick their their noses up and yeah. they don't want to try it. But um, we'll we'll edit that finger gesture out of the podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, here's here's my point, and I think what's really important is. Let's not get caught up in the barrel experience. Let's talk about the juice and the quality that you're starting with. It's going into the barrel. And I think what you have is a, it's a great corn product, corn forward product. You get the spiciness of the rye. The malt comes in and gives you a little smokiness to it. You're not overwhelmed with an, with an oakiness to it. So 
you can still get it, it's it's you can say all right this is not a four year product but it's a really nice bourbon that I almost start to say this is the prelude so if really somebody wants to grasp what you're doing in bourbon it, it's like this is the prelude this is the you know when when the orchestra is playing this is what's going to announce those next levels and Agreed. what you've put together this is a nice sipping bourbon it's a it's a, you can make a nice cocktail out of this a nice old fashioned you can really do a lot of it's a nice flexible bourbon i think we had a mold bourbon when we were here or you know something like that um, that was nice did you have the bacon maple syrup bourbon by any chance which is we, my current favorite we we might have i don't remember it was it was warm i don't remember <laughs> So I, I think it's that, that's that's a tribute to you. And really, what's important is understanding Sourland Mountain. Um, you're really producing some craft quality first rate spirits. To attribute winning gold medals, and I see that in your future as well, being recognized more and more to what you're doing. So that's that's your bourbon, um, and and to where you're going with that, I, I think it's a really nice bourbon. Now, I don't want to get, I don't want to lose an idea, but you talk about your nephews call it. Uncle Ray's Sipping Gin? The Barrel-Aged Gin. Right. Oh, no, the flagship gin. Yeah. Sipping, Uncle Ray's Sipping Gin, the Barrel-Aged Gin, Uncle Ray's Dessert right. Gin. And, and my point about this is that's a label and it's a brand and that's a product you should be looking to do. <laughs> Uncle Ray's Sipping Fill-in-the-Blank. So get you on the label, that's what it is, and go from there, whatever it is. Now... Sage, I mean, you, you've got a lot of plans for um, for the distillery. What does you know? To the, how has COVID affected what what you've been doing? Because you kind of came on board with that, um, and you know what what does, what can people expect as as you know the winter goes away? What can people expect when they come to the distillery? Um, so COVID was a bananas experience. So end of March, I joined. I thought I was going to be learning, you know, following my dad and my mom's footsteps, how to make amazing craft spirits. Uh, day one, I was actually mixing sanitizer in a 55-gallon truck. Uh, oh, the glamour. Yeah. So ended up actually spending the first three or four months pretty much exclusively building a sanitizer program from scratch and using that as a way to get the product to first responders, frontline workers, and a lot of our local hospitals before we had enough capacity to get it to, you know, individuals as well as local businesses. So, so that was a big shift for us. Um, I would say in the summer, we got a extension of premise from the TTB to allow us to serve cocktails outside. ABC. Yeah. Oh, from the ABC. Yeah. So that was huge for us. We were able to open an amazing outdoor cocktail bar this summer, which was big. Um, and I think what we're really looking forward to once we move past COVID is, one, we really want to re-engage the distillery, right? For us, and you hit on it earlier, having the ability to bring people to this very special place to be able to get a great meal over here, be able to come over and enjoy a cocktail, to be able to see the community that we're building here, that's going to be a big part of what we're going to invest our time and our energy into. So it's continuing to build out and improve our Rick Hut or our Rick House, which we've been, you know, we've been adding a lot of racks to it. We've been really trying to turn that into another part of that tour experience and continue to give people what we hope will become known as you know, the best tour and tasting experience in New Jersey. 
So that's really for us, everything so far in the last six months, you know, we've had to be focused on liquor stores because that's the only place where spirits are really moving right now. But we're excited to be able to focus a little bit more on the business and really reopen this as a place where, you know, we want to we want to invite New Jerseyans to come and visit. So coming on to the business, I mean, coming on to the family, you know, business, actually COVID has been, other than being, you know, mixing and doing sanitizer, COVID's really been a good time for you to really come on board and 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 it's put everything on a level playing field yeah and you can bring your areas of experience expertise the things that you excel and introduce without feeling the frantic state of what would have been like before covid with just operating a business right yeah we got to take a little bit of a break from that sprint which was awesome you know so it allowed it allowed me to learn it allowed my dad and i to figure out how we work together it allowed us to kind of look over our product portfolio and say, hey, what do we need to tweak? Do we want to invest more time and energy in bourbon? Do we want to spend more time focusing and promoting our gin? How are we thinking about our split between on and off premise? You know, so a lot of those big strategy pieces that people spend a lot of time thinking about going into a business, but maybe not as much once the business is rolling, to your point, when it's you're thinking about what you need to do today and what needs to get done by Friday, we got a little bit of time to kind of re-examine those things. And to be able to do it with a fresh set of eyes five years into a business, I think was huge. And now we're going to come out of COVID, I think, a lot stronger than if we had never had that experience. I I think that's important because you can either look at COVID as a demoralizing, restricting event, or you can look at it as a base and now a launching period. I mean, what do they say? It, um, you know, obviously, you know, when you look at the uh, 1800s and, and the depression or the downturn financially in the 1800s, coming out of that, the Wright brothers, Edison, I mean, being where in Hopewell yeah. in the area, um, Henry Ford. I mean, look what industries were developed from that standpoint. That's where you are. You're on the cusp of saying, look, we've got this agave spirit. We've got bourbon ready to go. We've got these amazing gins. And I haven't even talked about that mango spirit. (laughs) Wow. That is incredible. You know, go over there. Just start tainting their beer runs (laughs) and saying, oh, my God, this is horrible. We need more of that. that, Can can you make more of that crappy mango beer that you tried again? What can we barrel next? (laughs) Here's what I got out of that. Just – so I, the, the, the mango, the, the, you get the, the, the beer flavor, the mango, and then you want this, the habanero. I, I was like wanting it, but it comes off because of the, um, because of the proof. Then you get that, 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 um, that spiciness, that, heat, yeah. that heat comes. That is awesome. That is amazing. That's why I said, you know, if you're collaborating, look what you guys put together. That's phenomenal. Well, again, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. All right. Well, amazing, I, I would revoke his visa, perhaps. <laughs> Here's what I could say. So um, how do people find Saralyn Mountain? So I would say first, we would, we would suggest coming to visit the distillery. Um, even though we're in COVID time, we are still operating at 25% capacity. So Saturday and Sunday, we're open 12 to 6. Um, we're doing tours and tastings every half hour on the half hour from 12 to 4. Um, you're either going to get my dad or my mom doing the tour and tasting. So you're going to get an incredible experience, right? From the people who have spent years of their lives building and creating this. Um, outside of that, you can go to sourlandspirits.com. Uh, we're in about 350 bars, restaurants, and liquor stores across the state. And we've got a store finder on our website. So you can figure out the closest place to go. 
Um, or we've been spending a lot of time, you know, really building our Instagram presence. So check us out at Sourland Spirits. We're always talking about what's new at the distillery, cool collaborations we're doing, new products that are coming out. Um, so that's probably the best way to, you know, stay in touch and follow the Sourland's journey. Is there anything, I mean, I know, again, the coffee liqueur, there's a whole bunch of stuff we haven't even talked about in your spirits sure. portfolio. But is there anything we didn't talk about on the podcast that you want people to know about? We are New Jersey's farm distillery, right? And that's where it all started. And everything that, that, that pulls people to the farm and everything that we source from local farms as much as possible. That's really our differentiating thing. And the fact that this site, as far as we know, is unique in the entire country, right? So just one more shout out to the Brick Farm Tavern. If you have the burger over there, which I was argue, I would argue the best burger I've ever had, the beef is John's. He puts bacon on it from his little porky pigs. He puts an egg on it from his, his chickens, and it's on a roll from his bakery. 100%. 100%. He also has a potter out on the side making their own plates, and he has a... <laughs> He has a, a metalsmith making his own yeah, silverware. Yeah, we're, we're probably giving him ideas right now. He, he Look, also makes our water, just so you know. <laughs> I, I don't want it. Like, and, and I think what people then, don't... You know, this but, brewery. You know, now Alex, you know, I used to bust his balls. I'd say, Alex, you know, uh, when are you going to make a New England unfiltered cheesecake IPA? You know, because, you know, there's cupcake this, cupcake that. And uh, he's like, Ray, I'm really offended by that. I said, Alex, remember, dude, you're standing on these shoulders, right? You're standing on these shoulders in New Jersey. And uh, he said, well, all I can tell you is about the, uh, the beer at Triumph. That's old guy beer. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we have this little thing going of back course. and forth, right? Of course. But he's a phenomenal brewer, right? And I would argue a really good distillery and an amazing farm-to-plate restaurant that's legit. Well, that's why I said that when people, when you start looking at this area, you can really spend, I mean, looking behind us, where the distillery is, you've got that whole outdoor area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you got the field behind it. Yeah. So when spring hits and summer comes, and I'm sure, you know, you have plans to put some entertainment out there and people can come out and really just relax and enjoy their time. I mean, the, the, the wineries are not that far away. Correct. You can come to Hopewell. You can come to the surrounding area and go to three or four or five places. You can spend hours here, eat the burger, drink the beer. But more importantly, this you want to try all these spirits. You really do. And here's here's what comes out of my discussion with you both and trying your spirits and coming back, I want more. When you pour me something, no, I, and I'm not, I'm not here. To, I'm not here. Like you've been very gracious with your time. No, it's awesome. But I, I just want you to know, Thank I, you. I, I, you know, I couldn't wait to sit down and, and, and talk to you and learn about your story and share your story. I'm drinking your gin. I'm drinking your spirits, that mango spirit, your bourbon. I'm excited to see, the next day. I'm excited to see the next week, the next month, and, and what your distillery is introducing. And all I can say is, I want more. I want more. So, awesome. you're not allowed to stop. <laughs> well, you have to, to keep going. <laughs> this has been a phenomenal treat for me, and I really appreciate your hospitality. I'm grateful for your time, and uh, can't wait to come back to Sourland Mountain to see what, what is next, and Thank what you've you done. Thank you very, more. very much. No, thank you. Yeah, it's been quite fun. Thank you.